A lot of killers. You get a lot of killers. Why well, you think our country's so innocent? 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 They're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains alternative facts. People think I don't like China. I love China. China. China is the new China, by the way. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to a Trump show. It's Friday, February 24, 2017. And first, before we jump into the podcast, hey, welcome to all the new listeners. The podcast has literally doubled its listenership this week. It's going to be huge. It's going to be big, like China. China. Um, so welcome, everybody. Uh, you can follow the show at atrumpshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at Dennis Trainor. JR uh, and at Facebook at a Trump show.com. Okay, earlier this week, Rachel Maddow, you've heard of her, perhaps the most respected pundit of the liberal mainstream media, went full red commie scared Joe McCarthy with her Russia obsession when she was a guest on a Viceland show where, calling out Dr. Jill Stein, she said this. Did you ever notice, though, so there's that picture that everybody's seen of Michael Flynn sitting, the national security advisor, sitting next to Putin at right. that dinner, yeah. right? Yes. So the army is investigating mm. him the right now for taking money to do that. Have you ever noticed the other person who you recognize sitting at that table? No, who is it? Jill, Jill Stein. Oh! Jill Stein is sitting on the other side of Putin. Yes. At the, in, like, in the foreground of that picture. Can we please see that? See the gray hair in the front there? That oh, is Jill Stein. Oh, shit. Yes. Jill oh, Stein just took a stack of hundreds from her ear like, Yo. <laughs> Okay, I'll have more on why we can agree that Donald Trump is an evil monster, that Vladimir Putin is worse, but that blind faith in the so far unsubstantiated claims of the intelligence community, and Rachel has done that with Augusto, is dangerous and irresponsible at best, and why this very well might be Rachel licking her wounds and not doing an honest self-assessment as a Democrat who helped hold up the Hillary Clinton narrative while actively suppressing Bernie Sanders in the primaries, as MSNBC and the DNC did. And this self-assessment, this honest self-assessment, could be something that I think many Democrats could do. We'll have more on Rachel, Jill, Russia, and Donald Trump later in the show. But first, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump's main ideas guy, and the president himself are out to make America white again. In all of what that ugliness implies. Here is Bannon speaking the other day at the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Look at, you know, the opposition party and how they portrayed the campaign, how they portrayed the transition, and now they're, they're portraying the administration. It's always wrong. If you remember, you know, the campaign was the most chaotic, you know, by the media's description, most chaotic, most disorganized, most unprofessional, had no earthly idea what they were doing, and then you saw them all crying and weeping that night. Just like they were dead wrong on the chaos of the campaign, and just like they were dead wrong in the chaos of the transition, they are absolutely dead wrong about what's going on today because we have a team that's just grinding it through on what President Donald Trump promised the American people. And the mainstream media better understand something. All of those promises are going to be uh, implemented. They're corporatist, globalist media that are adamantly opposed, adamantly opposed 
to an economic nationalist agenda like Donald Trump has. He's going to continue to press his agenda. And as economic conditions get better, as more jobs get better, they're going to continue to fight. If you think they're going to give you your country back without a fight, you are sadly mistaken. If you want to see the Trump agenda, it's very simple. It was all in the speeches. He went around to these rallies, but those speeches had tremendous amount of content in them, right? All he's doing right now is he's laid out an agenda with those speeches, with the promises he made, and our job every day is just to execute on that. Trump's campaign rhetoric, you will remember, was met with massive resistance, and Trump's response to his critics were, in his own words, you will remember... Roll the tape. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. That's true. The guards are very gentle with him. He's walking out like big high fives, smiling, laughing. like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. Now, right after that happened, um, right after Trump said that he'd like to see that man carried out on a stretcher, I did a piece of commentary for another program that I was working on called Acronym TV, so-called because you stand for something. Um, And you can Google it if you want, Acronym TV, Make America White Again, because there are some funny visuals that go with the audio that I'd like to share with you right now. Um, It's whimsical in tone, I'll admit, because... I was only starting to take the possibility of candidate Trump becoming a president Trump. Again, this is November of 2015, a full year before thousands of people sat in Jacob Javits Center looking up at the glass ceiling that would not break. But I do think the argument that I was making here in 2015 holds up. And again, because we have so many new listeners on this podcast who are not familiar with the old show... Um, I want to share this with you. It's about six minutes long of commentary about why I thought then and think now that Donald Trump is seriously out to make America white again. The racist, xenophobic, crazy train that is the presidential campaign of Donald Trump continues to plow through middle America, picking up more and more passengers on a ride that's jumping right over Goodwin's Law into the uncharted territory where white power is coming out of the closet in 21st century America, the Trump card. You know, I thought for a long while that Donald Trump didn't really want to win, that he was playing at some kind of reality TV game. In fact, he asked us to set him free from this charade several times. He told us that if his poll numbers dipped, making running for the president not a very cost-effective venture, he would get out of the race. And summer has turned into fall and is flirting with winter, what seemed like an unlikely summer fling after the fashion of Danny Zuko and Sandy Olson, and all of a sudden it might not be so far-fetched that Donald and the American voter go together like, uh, I don't know, like what? We go together like ram 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 ding 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 dong Remember forever as you bop, you wada wada, yippity-boom-de-boom Chang, 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 and chang, 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 that's the way it should be Wahoo, yeah! I get down with making America great, but let's check ourselves. You want to make America great? I'm with you. But my people, my people, my white people, if you have fallen for the Make America Great Again slogan, let me ask you this. When does this great America exist in the historical timeline that you have in your mind? When? Perhaps in the Wally and Beaver post-World War II era when mom had her dinner on the table with the evening paper and the middle class was booming and redlining kept all those colored folk in separate and unequal communities. Oh, yeah! 
Was America great in her founding when refugees fleeing England landed on Plymouth Rock, enjoyed a Thanksgiving feast, and then, in the name of American exceptionalism, set out on the genocide of those natives? Was that when we were great? I don't know. Shit, great again? Every so often, Trump is going to do or say something that would sink a conventional candidate in a conventional, traditional campaign. Remember, it was just a few short election cycles ago that something like this could sink a whole presidential campaign. We're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! Yeah! That's it. One yacht at the end of an Iowa caucus season was enough to sink a presidential hopeful in simpler times. Trump's resiliency through what any number of events that any historical view of his campaign could reasonably point to and say, yep, that was the one that sunk him, is just the thing that has me paying attention now after ignoring or only being slightly amused when his petulant pout would infect my Facebook feed. He's not going away. A CNN reporter on the scene tweeted out that, quote, black protester at Trump rally was shoved, tackled, punched, and kicked. But the CNN headline reads, protester kicked out of Trump rally after altercation. You see how that? Mainstream media enabling the confirmation bias of racist assholes everywhere. But okay, here's the deal. The Donald isn't running for the president of the Gambino crime family or the KKK. The dude is running for president of the United States. He's gonna go on a talk show and distance himself from the thugs at his rally, right? I mean, that would be the presidential thing to do. That's what his advisors are advising him to do, right? The man that was, uh, was yeah. I don't know, you say roughed up, he was so obnoxious and so loud, he was screaming. I had 10,000 people in the room yesterday, 10,000 people, and this guy started screaming by himself, and they, I don't know, rough up? He should have been, maybe he should have been roughed up because it was absolutely disgusting what he was doing. This was not handled the way Bernie Sanders handled, handled his problem, I will tell you. But mm -hmm. I have a lot of fans, and they were not happy about it. And this was a very obnoxious guy who was a troublemaker who was looking to make trouble. But to make matters worse, or better, depending on where you are on the Make America White Again, I mean Great Again spectrum, the Donald jumps on Twitter and retweets a complete lie, citing crime data that overstates the number of homicides committed by blacks. It also doesn't appear, unfortunately, that the Crime Statistics Bureau-San Francisco that Trump retweeted is an organization that even exists. Okay, so the Donald was quick with a retweet. Who cares? We've all done it, right? Simple enough. Just delete the tweet or find another set of actual statistics to spin in a way that feeds your supporters. But not the Donald. The dude leaves up his tweet. And so you have to ask why. Donald's internal campaign motto seems to be feed the trolls. And that's just the thing. I was driving my car the other day and saw a car with a Make America Great Again bumper sticker and I was shocked. Trump's whole campaign, it seemed to me, only existed in make-believe or with people who hide behind pseudonym accounts on internet forums and YouTube comment threads. But Trump, the dude doesn't mis misspeak. He does not stumble. He lies intentionally, repeatedly, even in the face of overwhelming evidence against him. Dude just doubles down. Trump contends he saw thousands of people cheering in New Jersey after the 9-11 attacks. I watched in Jersey City, New Jersey, where thousands and thousands of people were cheering as that building was 
coming down. Standing by his claim even as it's widely recognized to be false. You know, the police say that didn't happen. There were people that were cheering in the other side of New Jersey where you have large Arab populations. They were cheering as the World Trade Center came down. Trump also insists the U.S. plans to accept hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees, even though the Obama administration has only proposed accepting roughly 10,000. So we have a president that wants to take hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and move them in to our country. Also, in case we forget, Donald Trump is a guy who suggested, you know, he kind of wants to fuck his daughter. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> Stop it! Oh, yeah! And how is he treated for all of these transgressions? Let's see a poll. Amid the controversy, the billionaire businessman still topping the GOP field in two nationwide surveys, leading Dr. Ben Carson by 10 points in each. Trump's campaign is the backlash against Black Lives Matter. This is Donald Trump attempting to make America white again. Okay, again, that was me back in November of 2015 when I was a young wee lad. Uh, and now let's move on to our next story. Trump on deportations. In, uh, earlier this week, Donald Trump has labeled his deportations operation a military operation. You see what's happening at the border. All of a sudden, for the first time, we're getting gang members out. We're getting drug lords out. We're getting really bad dudes out of this country and at a rate that nobody's ever seen before. And they're the bad ones. And it's a military operation. It's a military operation. It's a military operation. Trump made those remarks in the same 24-hour window as Wednesday in Texas. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE. Get to know this agency, folks. Get to know this agency. Removed an undocumented woman with a brain tumor from a hospital to take her back to the detention center where she was once being held. I'm going to repeat that. This was not a gang lord. This was not a drug dealer. This was ICE removing an undocumented woman with a brain tumor from a hospital to take her back to the detention center where she was once being held. The only reason you do something like that is to send shivers of terror through the community of, we don't know exactly how many because by their very nature they are undocumented, but over 10 million undocumented people who are working, who are paying taxes, who are contributing to the lifeblood of this economy, of our cultural fabric. You know, I, I wonder openly with a friend of mine, and these the, the, the people that Trump is targeting are black and brown. These are black and brown people. Uh, I used to live briefly in Sunnyside, Queens. If you don't know Sunnyside, Queens, uh, think... Irish. Think undocumented Irish. Do you think the undocumented Irish in Sunnyside, Queens are sitting around worried about whether ICE is going to come raid the brunch at the local pub? We'd have to call it Sunday, Bloody Mary Sunday. As a fellow Irish American, I can say that I strongly believe that nobody is worried about Sunday, Bloody Mary Sunday, happening in Sunnyside, Queens, any time soon. But Trump's ICE officials went to a hospital, tied this woman up by the hands and the ankles, removed her from her medical care, took her to a detention center. 
Ryan Devereaux, writing at The Intercept, characterized Trump's plan this way. Quote, on Tuesday, Department of Homeland Security released a pair of memos laying out how the agency intends to implement President Donald Trump's executive orders on domestic immigration enforcement. In addition to calling for massive increase in the number of immigration agents and the deputizing of local and state law enforcement across the country, described in the documents is a, quote, force multiplier. The memos dramatically expand the range of people who can be deported without seeing a judge. Emphasis mine. Greg Siskind, a Tennessee-based immigration attorney and member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association Board of Governors, is quoted in this Ryan Devereaux intercept story saying, quote, I see now what the plan is. Their plan is basically to have everybody thrown out of the country without ever going to court. End quote. Additional immigration attorneys and legal experts who spoke to The Intercept shared Siskin's concerns, describing various elements of the Department of Homeland Security's directives and the executive orders they reflect as horrifying, stunning, and inhumane. Now, um, and that's Ryan Devereaux writing at The Intercept. Um, again, Donald Trump calling this a military operation, and the last reference there to the Department of Homeland Security, people are saying, well, this is ICE. This is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Yes, Immigration and Customs Enforcement is a subset of Department of Homeland Security. And what is the reach of Department of Homeland Security? Well, and ICE, well, they cover the borders, right? Well, how are those borders defined? The ACLU has an amazing... Um, detailed and easy-to-understand fact sheet about this. And I'll summarize some of the main points. Right, We know that the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution protects Americans from random and arbitrary stops and searches. Right? Cool. Uh, Where? Where are those rights protected? Uh, Again, according to the ACLU, according to the government... Those basic constitutional principles don't apply fully at our borders. For example, at border cro- course, uh, um, excuse me. For example, at border crossings, also called ports of entry, federal authorities do not need a warrant or even suspicion of war- wrongdoing to justify conducting what courts have called a routine search, such as searching luggage or a vehicle. And you're listening and you're going, well, you know, we've all have to give up some of our rights at the borders. Again. What do you think of as a border? Even in places far removed from the border, the ACLU ACLU fact sheet continues, deep into the interior of the country, immigration officials enjoy broad, though not limitless, powers. Specifically, federal regulations give U.S. Customs and Border Protection authority to operate within 100 miles of any U.S. external boundary. If you live in the United States right now, do you live within 100 miles or do you work or play within 100 miles of any U.S. external boundary? Two-thirds of the population does. In this 100-mile zone, Border Patrol agents have certain extra constitutional powers. For example, Border Patrol can operate immigration checkpoints on two-thirds of the U.S. population. (laughs) 
Many people think that uh, border-related policies only impact people living in border towns like El Paso or San Diego. And I'm quoting again from the ACLU fact sheet here, and I'll link to this at atrumpshow.com. The reality is that the Border Patrol interior enforcement operations encroach deep in and across the United States, affecting the majority of Americans. Again, as I said, roughly two-thirds of U.S. population lives within this zone, this 100-mile zone of the U.S. land or coastal border. That's 200 million people. In addition, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, and Vermont lie entirely, 100% of their population uh, are affected by this. New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Philly, Phoenix, San Antonio, San Diego, and San Jose all fall within this 100-mile zone. Nine out of the 10 largest U.S. metropolitan areas lie within this zone. And that's where these extra constitutional powers that Donald Trump will use in his military operation exist. Stay tuned. Obviously, this is a story we're going to have to continue talking about on a Trump show. Finally today, though, let's talk about Rachel Maddow going full Joe McCarthy on my old boss, Jill Stein. Let's listen to the 60-second clip and an extension from the teaser I, I shared with you at the beginning of the episode. Do you ever notice, though, so there's that picture that everybody's seen of Michael Flynn sitting, the national security advisor, sitting next to Putin at right. that dinner, yeah. right? Yes. So the army is investigating yeah. him, right, now for taking money to do that. Have you ever noticed the other person who you recognize sitting at that table? No, who is it? Jill, Jill Stein. Oh! Jill Stein is sitting on the other side of Putin. Yeah. The, in, like in the foreground of that picture. Can we please see that? See the gray hair in the front there? That oh. is Jill Stein. Oh, shit. Yes. Jill oh, Stein just took a stack of hundreds from her ear, like, yo. <laughs> why you snitching? Yo. <laughs> yo, delete that Snapchat. I know. Oh, Rachel, oh. what you doing? I know, so everybody's like, wow, how come this, like, super, super aggressive opposition that we saw with these third party candidates, how come they haven't said anything since this Trump oh. scandal is broken? I don't know, Jill. Oh. I can't pronounce it in Russian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No! Hope you're really psyched about your Wisconsin vote totals! <laughs> okay, A, Rachel, Jill has not said anything in your terms because she's not allowed on the mainstream media. You have blacklisted her. The only time the mainstream media really allowed Jill a voice was towards the end of the election, I'll give you that, and certainly in that little window of time after the election when Jill was mounting a recount effort in the three states that could have turned the tide for the election for Hillary Clinton because you saw Jill as your only Hail Mary choice to get your boss, your fan, your lovely lady, Hillary Clinton into the White House. Jill lost a lot of friends within the Green Party who thought that she was carrying the bag for Hillary Clinton, and that's not what Green Party folk like to do. So A, to your point, Rachel, why Jill hasn't said anything, she has said something. Okay, she put out a statement on Facebook. I'll read it to you in brief. Uh, in case you missed it, Jill Stein writes on Facebook, I was in Russia to speak at an RT conference along with many other people, including many fellow activists from the peace movement. I was there to call out the United States and Russia on their militarism and challenge them to ado adopt a peace offensive instead. 
At the closing dinner, I was seated at a table with President uh, with Vladimir Putin and Michael Flynn, but didn't actually talk to either of them. This I believe. I was not there with Jill in Russia. I had I had stopped working as communications director by the time Jill went to Russia. I don't think this trip was a good idea. I, th- I remember it at the time. So to be fair, as a former employee, Rachel, and, and those of you listening to me kind of attack Rachel for her red scare McCarthyist, I don't think this was a good idea, this, this trip that the campaign took to go to Russia. They were um, campaign staffers who were struggling to get paid, and we were fundraising to send Jill Stein to Russia. Not nice. Not a good idea, in my opinion. And also to be fair... Um, Jill Stein, when I spoke with her during the recount effort, um, had just come off uh, being on The View, on the television show The View, that vapid daytime talk show yak fest. And when I spoke to her immediately after she got off there, she said the crowd was screaming and cheering and that, you know, she saw evidence of this revolution happening. And I think Jill shares with a lot of politicians this ability, some may call it a delusion, or ability to always see um, a positive feedback loop of what they need to see to keep them going through the day. When I watched that episode with The View, I saw people cheering because they were tourists in New York at a daytime talk show Yakfest, and there were applause signs flashing above them in the crowds. I did not think that the daytime talk show guests who had received free passes while wandering around Times Square to come see The View and stumbled onto Jill Stein, perhaps most likely for the first time in their lives, all of a sudden thought that they were fighting a revolution. So as I attack Rachel Maddow, I want you to know that I have a healthy uh, dollop of skepticism about even my foreign boss, Jill Stein. But Rachel Maddow, when it comes to this Red Scare thing, is so far off base. Rachel Maddow is is pushing a narrative that the Democrats wanted, that the intelligence community wanted, to fan the flames of war with Russia. Hillary Clinton had openly campaigned saying that she was going to enforce a no-fly zone over Syria with Russia, which is a pissing contest, which is daring, openly inviting World War III. Trump and Bannon, disgusting as they are, want a different kind of war. They want a, a, a kind of world civilization war in which um, Western powers will fight against ISIS. And in Bannon and Trump's view, Russia will be an ally like we were in World War II. We created, in many ways, ISIS out of the deep moral scorched earth that we left in Iraq. Another war that organizations like MSNBC helped sell us after the intelligence community came to them and said, weapons of mass destruction. That was an alternative fact, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That was a lie. The intelligence community also did the same thing with the Gulf of Tonkin. Vietnam was a little tiny war that we were fi- a little tiny, tiny proxy war that we were fighting in 1963 or 64. Whenever the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was not an incident, it was an alternative fact or a lie, happened. The media helped push it. Congress authorized Lyndon Johnson to go in, and hundreds of thousands of uh, people were killed. This same intelligence community uh, that was selling these lies in the future. I mean, I'm sorry, in the past, was also selling the lie when James Clapper came and uh, told the United States public through testimony to Congress that no, 
the NSA was not collecting scores of data on people in the United States, when in fact we know, of course, they were. Clapper was forced to apologize, or not quite forced to apologize, chose to apologize, for what was perjury. He did not face charges for perjury. Rather, he remained as head of the intelligence community until the very last day of the Obama administration. And in those last days of the Obama administration, the intelligence community was pushing this narrative that Russia colluded with Donald Trump to affect the 2016 election. Even the intelligence experts that Rachel Maddow was at on her own show that work for MSNBC have said to Rachel flat out, we have no evidence that Russia colluded with Donald Trump's campaign. We, don't know, we do know there has been some communications. What have the, those communications been about? I don't know. They could have just as likely been about business deals, which is another reason to impeach this motherfucker. But if you're going to try to accuse Trump with colluding with Putin on affecting the election, that's, 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 that's cause for war. So let's chill the fuck out, Rachel Maddow. Let's tone down the kind of red scare, anti-communist, anti, you know, you, chill out. I wish I had something a little more intelligent to wrap up that segment on. Perhaps I'll pen a more articulate and well-thought-out open letter to our friend Rachel Maddow. But I'm out of time. That's our show. My name is Dennis Trainer Jr. Follow me on Twitter at Dennis Trainor Jr. And uh, at a trumpshow.com. It's it's been uh, it's been lovely speaking to you all. Uh, we are on a new schedule, as you uh, probably know. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings now. Peace out. We'll see you Monday.